We're starting the 11th chapter. It's always a privilege to open God's Word on Sunday mornings and to see what God would have us to learn. I often pray before the messages that God would open up the text so that we would clearly understand what he wants us to know. And I really like the approach that we have to the Scriptures. Uh, I never have to wonder from week to week what I'm going to preach about because we're preaching verse by verse, and the text always supplies us with the topic. So I don't have to worry about choosing a topic. We just take the Word of God as it is, and we move along, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand the particular Scriptures that we're studying so that we can get uh, the meaning of the topic that's being talked about. Now, in this passage of Scripture, and for another time of our study, God has provided for us a topic, and the topic is doubt. And we'll learn in just a little while and over the next couple of messages that some of God's greatest servants have had periods of doubt. Now, I'd like to think that having been a Christian for uh, more than 50 years and having been a teacher of God's Word now for about 40 years or a little bit more, and then being the pastor for the ch- uh, the, this church for the past nine years, that I would like to think that you would consider me to be a good Christian, a strong Christian. I hope that I am, and I'm certainly convinced of what I believe. I don't think that you'd want me to be your pastor if I stood up on every Sunday morning and I said, well, here's what I'd like to talk about, but I'm not too sure about this topic. I'm not quite sure what the truth of this is. Well, you don't want to hear a pastor waffle around and and make statements of doubt about his preaching because you want to hear a very clear, definitive explanation of Scripture. But I wouldn't be telling you the truth if I said that in my Christian life, there haven't been periods of doubt. That would not be the truth. Because there are times when I've been at a very low ebb. There are times when I've been in melancholy. melancholy. There are times when I've struggled to see God's purpose. And I wondered, am I doing what's right? Am I going in the right direction? And as we'll see just a little bit later, that doubt is not uncommon for even some of the greatest Bible characters that, that God called to do his work, that they had periods of doubt. And if you found our text today, one of the greatest Bible characters with a problem of doubt was named John, and he was John the Baptist. Now, he wasn't the doubting Thomas, but in this scripture, we'll call him the doubting Baptist. Now, if you look in Matthew chapter 11, we'll start in verse number 1. Stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us today to look into your word. Help us as we... Explain things today. Help us to see what you'd have us to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
Today, as we move on in our study of Matthew's gospel, we've come to the end of Jesus' instructions for his disciples. In the 10th chapter, we've studied how that Jesus had called the 12 disciples to be his witnesses, and he sent them out on their first missionary assignment. Going back to the end of chapter 9, Jesus said to the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus was a man of great compassion, and he surveyed the religious climate of Israel, and he saw people that were broken down. He saw people that were burdened with no hope. They were in a false religious system, one in which would never help them to get to heaven. The religious leaders had oppressed the people and laid heavy burdens on them. And so the people were ripped apart, they were torn apart. And as Jesus described them, he said, they're like sheep that have no shepherd. And then Jesus asked the disciples to pray about this, and he asked them to pray that God would send help that God would send someone to tell people the good news of God's salvation in Christ. There were many people to win. Jesus was uh, preparing. Just, he had just three years of ministry, then he was going back to heaven. And so he needed help then to spread his message. And then he also needed help for future generations, those that God would save. And so he told his disciples to pray. And the same prayer that they prayed is one that we need to pray today. Uh, In each month, it seems like we see more people dropping out of ministry in the church. We see people becoming complacent and uncaring about those that need to hear the gospel. We have trouble filling spots in our church, uh, like in the Pioneer Club. We don't have replacement people to go into other ministries. And so we burden down the few people who will work and who are committed to the work because there are so many that are unwilling to work and be a part of the ministry. So I'm thankful that we had missionaries visit us, uh, three of them over the course of about a month, and they encourage us in the work of God, and they encourage us not to give up, and they encourage us to surrender ourselves completely to what God has given us to do. And so I would encourage you, if, if you are holding back and you're saying, well, maybe later, maybe later I'll get involved in the ministry of the church, there's something else I need to do first, then I need to encourage you to remember what we learned just last week in our study of the 10th chapter where Jesus said, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. So Jesus asked the disciples to pray, to pray for help. And little did they know that when they prayed that God was going to answer that prayer and he would send somebody to help. They earnestly prayed for laborers. And you know what happened? God impressed them to be the ones that would be the laborers. And I promise you that if you will sincerely pray that God will send help to our church, that the first question he'll ask is, what are you doing to help? And I wonder how many of you are willing to risk praying that kind of prayer. So the disciples prayed about this. They prayed about the request in chapter 9, verse 38. And then we find in verse number 10, they became the helpers. That God called them, Christ called them to be the apostles. They, they were commissioned to preach the gospel. 
And there in that 10th chapter, Jesus told them what they must do and what they could expect. And so we come now to this 11th chapter, and the call and the commission and the instructions for the disciples is done. And so the disciples have left Jesus, and now they've gone to other places to preach. And in verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. So here we find that Jesus is alone. And I would suppose that we would think that now that the helpers are gone and now that they've taken up this commission to preach the gospel, now it's time for Jesus to take a vacation. Now it's time for him to get a little bit of R&R and let the disciples do the work. But Jesus never thought in those kinds of terms. He was always busy. The work was never done. So he resumed his preaching schedule, and he went back to teaching. He kept walking from city to city, from towns and villages throughout Galilee. He was still preaching and still teaching, still healing. He had as much compassion as he ever had for people that were helpless and were dying in their sins. Well, that 10th chapter is sort of an interlude in the story. It's sort of a breaking point there as Jesus instructs the disciples. And now Matthew comes here to chapter 11, and he resumes the purpose that he has in giving us this gospel in the first place. And the purpose of Matthew is to show us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one that God uh, sent into the world to save us from our sins. He is the Savior of the world. He is the King. And here is just another place that we can go for proof of this. And here is where we find one of the greatest of all Bible characters, John the Baptist. And John was in the misery of doubt. He didn't doubt his own ministry. I don't believe he doubted what God had called him to do. But he did have a serious form of doubt. And so now he wants to know, was I right? Was I right when I said that this is, pointing, pointing to Jesus, that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? In other words, John was at the place where he wanted to really have confidence that Jesus truly was the Messiah. And we would think, well, this is impossible How can John doubt? How can this great man of God fall into doubt about Jesus? Well, I want to help you to understand the reasons for this. From John's perspective, they may have seemed like they were reasonable doubts. If you look what John was going through, maybe it was reasonable for him to doubt that Jesus really was the Christ. This morning, I'm going to give you a little bit of background that will help you to understand why John had doubts. I want you to keep your Bibles open this morning because we're going to turn to a lot of Scripture, several passages. And if you look in verse number 2, it says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. That is, he sent two disciples to Jesus and said unto him, said unto Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now today I'm going to set the stage for you. This is kind of an unusual message this morning. For the next couple of messages, we're going to look into John's doubt and Jesus' response to those doubts and then also what you can do about your doubts. But today's going to be a little bit of an unusual sermon because all I'm doing today is just setting the stage to help us to understand why John the Baptist, this great man of God, came to a period of doubt in his life. So today we're going to talk about the career of John the Baptist, just Who was he, and what had God called him to do? Now, I'd like you to turn back to the third chapter of Matthew, and this is where we're introduced to this special man named John. 
In Matthew chapter 3, in verse number 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The scripture says, In those days. Well, when were those days? Well, what it's talking about here is the days that were just prior to Jesus beginning his ministry. And this is where we find John preaching. But it's not an abrupt beginning for John. I mean, it's not just like John appeared on the scene out of nowhere. Now, we don't learn about this in Matthew's gospel, but we can go to the book of Luke, and we see a a story there about the birth of John the Baptist. Now, if you turn over to Luke chapter 1, keep your finger in Matthew 3, because we're coming back there. But in Luke chapter 1, we have this story about Mary's cousin named Elizabeth, Mary the mother of Jesus and her cousin Elizabeth, who became pregnant in a miraculous way. Now, there in Luke chapter 1, I'm going to explain to you about the first part of the chapter, then we're going to go read, read in the latter part of the chapter. But starting in verse number 5, the scripture says that Elizabeth and her husband, Zacharias, were very old, and they didn't have any children. And they were very godly people. They were people that lived by the scriptures. They lived holy lives. They walked according to the commandments of God. Zacharias was a priest, and one day while he was in the temple, an angel appeared to him and told him that he and Elizabeth would have a child. Now remember, they're very, very old. They hadn't had any children. And it was also told him that this child would grow up and he would be a great man in the sight of the Lord. And as we get a little bit further on in Matthew chapter 11, you'll find that Jesus said this about John, that he was the greatest man who had lived up to that time. And so John was born, and his parents brought him into the temple, and they dedicated him to the Lord. And when that happened, his father, Zacharias, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak some prophetic words of his own about John. And he told uh, the people what John would do when he became a man. Now, if you look at verse number 76 in chapter 1, Zacharias said, "'And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest.'" For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring on high hath visited us. Now there, day spring refers to Jesus. And then the next verses go on talking about Jesus. Jesus would give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our way into the, or guide our feet into the way of peace. And then verse number 80 says, and the child grew, this is John the Baptist, he grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Now we go back to that third chapter in Matthew and John is now grown and the prophecy that was made concerning him at his birth is now ready to come true. And Luke describes that as the day of John's showing unto Israel. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 3, it says, In those days, this is when John was shown to Israel. And he had a purpose, which was to declare that Christ had come. Now, John's career then as a preacher began. And so I want you to notice first about him. uh, Behold the messenger. Here is the messenger of God. Chapter 3 says that John came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and the message that he preached was that people needed to repent of their sins, and he said the kingdom of heaven is near. 
Zacharias, John's father, prophesied that John would be called the prophet of the highest. And that means that he would be a special prophet of the Messiah. He would be the last prophet who would come, and he would announce that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is here. And so it was his job to preach and to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And that's why John said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he meant Jesus was there. He was ready to begin his own ministry. And so it was John's task to declare him to be the Messiah that was promised. Now, if you'll turn back a few more pages in your Bible, back to the left a little bit there, you'll come to the last book of the Bible of the Old Testament, last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi. And in the fourth chapter, verse number 5, we have the very last words that were written in the Old Testament. God spoke to Malachi the prophet, and he said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That was written 400 years before we get to Matthew chapter 3. And a prophet did come. As Luke chapter 1 verse 17 says, John came. And he was the fulfillment of these verses in Malachi because he was, he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This is what Jesus said to him in the 11th chapter of Matthew. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So this is part of what establishes the greatness of John. And that is, he had an essential ministry, which was to prepare the people for the coming of Christ. And so he was out in the wilderness, out in the desert, telling people that they must repent of their sins. He was baptizing people, telling people that the kingdom of God was right then upon them. And as you follow John's career, if you look at the way that he preached, you find that he was a very bold preacher. He wasn't afraid to tell it like it is. Didn't matter who was listening to him. Didn't matter what people thought of him. And John preached the kingdom of God in the same way that God expects us to preach it today. He expects us to preach his word with boldness. Now, what we don't need are sweet, sissified preachers with curly hair and Armani suits. We don't need fake smiles. We don't need a feel-good message. What we need is to preach the truth. We need to preach the truth no matter who that truth offends. John was that kind of man. He was a frazzled outdoorsman. This is a guy that lived in the wilderness. The Bible says he wore an old hide that was cut off a camel's back. His hair wasn't done by a stylist. It was long, seriously matted perhaps, when he smiled, he had bugs between his teeth because his diet was grasshoppers and wild honey. And when John preached, he was an imposing character. Many people believe that John was probably the most outstanding preacher that the Bible has ever seen, at least up until maybe the time of the Apostle Paul. Uh, I would rank John the Baptist probably with those great preachers like Spurgeon, who just really knew how to bring out the truth of God's word, and that's the kind of preacher that we do need today. We need preachers that stand up strong on God's word. Preachers like John the Baptist. Now, I'm not going to grow my hair long like John did, and I'm not going to eat grasshoppers or insects of any kind for that matter, but I do want this to be a part of the way that I preach. I want that boldness to preach God's truth. So it's time that we got back to preaching in boldness, which means that we do need to tell people that they are sinners 
which is something that's left out of most preaching today. We do need to tell people they must repent of those sins. They need to turn to God. We need to tell them that Jesus is the Christ. They must believe him and him alone. And if they don't believe him, they will die in their sins. And the result of dying in your sins is an eternal place, an awful place that's called hell. And this is the way that John the Baptist preached. And we're to do what he was told to do. So before John was ever born, God had carved out this special niche for him in his kingdom. He was the forerunner. He was the foreteller. He was the one that God said, you need to point to Jesus. And you do need to say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So that's part of the greatness of John. He was just a messenger. He never asked anybody to follow him. He wasn't desperately trying to get disciples for himself. Although we do know that there were many people that followed John. Great crowds came to hear him preached. Many believed when he preached and it was a very clear message. And he was clear about this, that he was not the deliverer. He was just the messenger. God sent him to deliver the message about the one who would come and deliver them from their sins. Now if you'll turn to John chapter 1 for just a moment. And here in this first chapter of the Gospel of John, we find John the Baptist, and he was asked about his ministry. People wanted to know, now just who are you? Who are you, John? What did you come to do? And so in John chapter 1, verse 19, it says, And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are thou Elias or are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Or Isaiah. And then down in verse number 26, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is whose coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. And so we read that and we see that John was very clear about the message. He was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was convinced and he was content that his ministry should decrease and that the ministry of Christ should increase. At the proper time, John was ready to step aside... And let Jesus' ministry take over, and all of that would be to the glory of Jesus Christ, so that John did not seek any glory for himself. And so we wonder here, when we come to Matthew 11, how is it that this great man, John, began to have doubts? How does he reach such a low ebb of Matthew 11, verse 2, that he has to send someone for verification to ask, are you really the Messiah? Sending two disciples to say, did I make a mistake? Was I wrong when I said, you are the Messiah? And again, we see here Matthew's purpose and showing us that in every way, Jesus is the Messiah. He did that by recording his miraculous birth. He did it by telling us about the wise men that came and bowed before him and declared him as a king. He did that through his unmatched wisdom in preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He did it by recording miracles of healing from diseases and miracles of casting out demons, miracles of controlling nature, and even miracles of raising people from the dead. And now Matthew confronts opposition, saying that there were people who would see all of this, 
people who would see everything that Jesus did, and yet they would still doubt who he was. So he brings us to this scripture in order that we might address doubters, that doubters might be reaffirmed in their faith of who Jesus really is. Now, there's something else that's unique about John and his preparation for the ministry of Jesus, and that is John was called to be the one who would perform the baptism of the Christ. John was told to baptize Jesus. Now, look at the third chapter of Matthew, if you'll go back there again. And in the 13th verse of Matthew chapter 3, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Now, there do you see it again? There is the recognition of the superiority of Jesus. John recognized his own ministry. He knew that he was a prophet sent from God. He knew, of course, the story of his own birth, how that was a miraculous birth. He knew that he had been predestined to do this. He knew that God had called him from his mother's womb to be the one who had announced the coming of the Christ. And so when Jesus came to be baptized by him, it appeared to John that something is amiss. This is upside down. Why should John baptize Jesus? You know, it never says that John was baptized himself. So when Jesus came to him to be baptized, John said, something's wrong with this picture. You're the sinless one. You are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John was preaching a baptism of repentance for people to repent of their sins. And so when Jesus came to be baptized by him, John says, that's not going to work. That's not the way this should go. I need to be baptized by you. And so John didn't want to baptize Jesus. But look what happens next, verse number 15. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, or allow it, permit it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus said, Do it, John. This fulfills righteousness. It will be a picture of what I came to do. And let me just tell you this as a little bit of a side note here. Why was Jesus baptized? couple of really good reasons. Number one is that Jesus wanted to be baptized because he said this fulfills righteousness. Very simply, it is a command of God to be baptized. And Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. So when God commands people to be baptized, he means that. And so Jesus said this fulfills righteousness. I came to do the will of God. I'm going to do what God says. So John, you baptize me. Even though he didn't need repentance, yet that is command of God. But there's another reason, a compelling reason for Jesus to be baptized, and that's because it would show what Jesus was about to do. Jesus would die for sin, and then he would arise from the dead, and that's what baptism pictures. When you're baptized, you are saying, "I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he arose from the grave. And you're also saying that I have died with Christ and when he comes again, I'll rise with him. You rise to walk in a new life. That's why you need to be baptized. That's a very public way that the Bible gives us to affirm our faith in what Christ has done. So Jesus said to John, do this. And there was no argument there because John recognized the authority of Jesus to command him. He didn't understand it all, but he obeyed, and he baptized him. And we might not understand everything that God tells us to do, 
But it's not ours to question God. It's ours simply to obey him. And then perhaps maybe sometime later, God will tell us why he tells us to do things. We are just to obey him. So John did that. He recognized the authority of Christ. There was no doubt in his mind at this point that he should obey, and he did. So look what happens next, verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now let's forget for just a moment all the crowds that were there. Forget about all the people that, that came to hear John preach. And there were always crowds. In the book of Mark it says, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So there was always a crowd that was around John the Baptist. But forget for just a moment the crowds that saw this. John witnessed this. Think about what John saw. He obeyed, and then he was given all the confirmation that he needed, all that he could ever ask for, because the voice of God the Father spoke from heaven and spoke about Jesus, who'd just been baptized, and said, This is my son, my beloved son. He said, I'm well pleased in him. So God confirmed it. And it only adds to the mystery of why John had to ask in this 11th chapter, Are you the Messiah? Do we look for another? Well, we go just a little bit further. What is it that happened in the career of John the Baptist that caused him to doubt? And I'm not going to answer that question fully today. Next week, we're going to start to draw the formal conclusions from this. But I want you to think about this. What I'm going to say next, and you you start putting the pieces together yourself. And that's a really good thing for you to do. In your Bible study, look for the background of what's going on And keep reading that, keep studying it, study the background, and figure out what's going on here. Now remember, I said John was not afraid to preach. He wasn't afraid to tell people like it is. And among the people that came to hear John the Baptist preach were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the religious leaders. They were in power. And John spoke out against them when they came to be baptized. He called them a generation of poisonous snakes. And he said that they were corrupt trees that didn't bear fruit. And like a worthless tree, you cut it down and you throw it in the fire and it's burned. And they didn't like that preaching. John the Baptist spoke against them. And, And these were people, these religious people had control of everything. They had the power to make John's life miserable. But John stood up against that religious establishment. But it wasn't just them that he angered. Let's go to the 14th chapter of Matthew. And while you're turning there, you'll notice our text verses of Scripture say that John was in prison when he sent disciples to see Jesus. So John was beneath in prison. Let me explain that statement. Look at Matthew 14, starting in verse number 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. So there we find the reason for John's imprisonment. He wasn't afraid to talk about anybody's sin, and that didn't make any difference if it was the sin of the king. John would preach against it. Now in this case, we're talking about Herod Antipas. 
He was the grandson of Herod the Great. That's the one that you read about in the first chapter of Matthew, second chapter, and so forth, where it talks about how that Herod wanted to have Jesus killed at his birth. So Herod Antipas was the grandson of Herod the Great, and that whole family was wicked from top to bottom. Every one of them was corrupt. So Herod Antipas made a trip to Rome, and he decided that he was going to visit his half-brother Philip. And while he was there visiting with Philip, he fell in love, or he fell in lust, with Philip's wife named Herodias. Now, I know that sounds a lot like a soap opera. I mean, that's one life to live as the stomach turns and all that. But that, that's the way the world has always been. And, and I suppose this is why people are interested in these salacious stories and they watch them on TV and in the movies. Well, this is what it was like. I mean, here you have this love tryst that's going on between Herod and his half-brother Philip's wife. So Herod convinced Herodias to come and live with him And they had that, again, that lustrous that was going on. So John heard about that. And John, being the the preacher that he was, preached against it. He got up in the public, in the public places, and he said, this is wrong. This is wrong for the king to have somebody else's wife, and especially his brother's wife. We were talking about things that are strictly prohibited by Scripture. So Herod had John thrown into prison. And he would have killed John right on the spot, but he was afraid to do it because the people regarded John as a prophet. And Herod didn't want an uprising on his hands, so he just threw John in the prison. Well, the place that he put John was not a country club jail. It wasn't the city jail or anything like that. He was in a place called Machiris. Machiris is on the northeastern side of the Dead Sea, down or it's on the on the uh, just east of the Dead Sea, and it's it's in current day Jordan. And I have a picture of that. This is this is the place. The picture it's a little fuzzy there, I think, but this is the the place where uh, John was held. Now that doesn't look like much, but there was a this hill there, and Herod had built a palace on top of this hill. It was a former fortress before then, but Herod built one of his palaces there, and underneath the palace there was a dungeon, and that's where he kept John the Baptist. I know most of you have never been to the Dead Sea, but if you can think of Death Valley in the middle of July or August, that's what it's like there, extremely, extremely hot. And so John was put down in that sweltering prison, in that dark dungeon. So we have this man who was an outdoorsman, I mean, John had lived outside all of his life. He had the wind in his face. He slept beneath the stars. He could reach out and pick up a grasshopper any time that he wanted for a snack. Uh, and, and there he was. He's in that prison. And John is locked away. He can't do his ministry any longer. He can't do what God called him to do, to be the harbinger of Christ. He's locked away there. And John is wondering, why am I here? Now, you're starting to get a picture of why he had doubts. And I'll explain more about it next week. But I want to show you one more part of his career, and that's the end of it. The end of his career, and this is when he was beheaded for his faith. Or we could say he was beheaded for his preaching. Now we go on reading in the 14th chapter, verse number 5. And when he would have put him to death, he feared. That's when Herod would have put John to death. He feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept... The daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. 
And she, being instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison, and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. So here is the end of the man that's one of the greatest men that ever lived. And Jesus again said, that's the greatest man who's ever lived, at least up until that time. So Herodias' daughter, this was Philip's, remember, Philip's wife that Herod fell in love with, her daughter came and danced at Herod's birthday party. Now probably she was half naked or worse, which shows you how lewd that this family was. I mean, this was an incestuous family. Every purient desire that you can imagine was a part of their lives. And so she pleased Herod, and he made a promise that he would give her anything that she wanted. Now, his mother had already made a prior arrangement that if Herod should make the offer, then what she should do is to ask him for the head of John the Baptist. And so Herod obliged that, and he sent a guy down to the dungeon to cut off John's head. And they brought it back on a serving platter. And so John the Baptist's life came to an end because of a striptease. Now we have to look at this whole scenario. The great things that John the Baptist did, the special calling that God gave him, his father dedicated him at the temple and said, here is a boy that is destined for greatness. He will announce the Messiah. He will proclaim salvation. He will preach the kingdom of God. But Zacharias never said that it would end like this. Not in a dungeon, not at the hands of a wicked man, and certainly not because some whorish teeny bopper did a dance. Now, do you start to get a feel for John's dilemma? Do you wonder why that he asked men or sent men to Jesus and said, are you really the Messiah? Why is it that this man who did everything that God asked him to do and did it in a great way, a powerful man, a great preacher, one who fulfilled the will of God for his life. Why is John stuck in the prison? Why did God leave him like this? And why did God allow his head to be cut off? There's reason for doubt. I think it comes into focus when we consider those things. So this career, this great man of God, came to an end in a very unexpected way. But just to shorten up the story a little bit, to let you look a little bit ahead, what happened after John sent the men? Well, in Matthew 14, uh, here's John, he's in the prison. But before that, these men, these disciples that John sent, returned to him and gave him all the assurance that he needed. So John was no longer in doubt. He heard back from Jesus, and he died in that prison, and we never read of him questioning again because he was satisfied with the answer that he was given. And we're going to understand more about that next time. Trust me, I want you to come back and hear the rest of this. But John had those doubts. And here's the thing about you and me, and things that you need to remember as you're thinking about this over the next week, is that when you have doubts, when things are not going well, when your faith begins to weaken, when you have problems in your life, when you start to get weighed down with all the things that are happening to you, and you've been the person who's been in church, and you're the person who sits here week after week, and you hear the messages preached, and then something terrible befalls you, you can fall into a season of doubt. It happens to many many, many Christians. And here's the thing that you have to do, and I'll leave you with this today. The thing that you have to do when you're in doubt is to send word to God in prayer and tell God that you're in doubt. 
And when you're in doubt, I promise you, you pray sincerely and God will give you the answers that you need. God will comfort your heart. God will give you that answer to show you why. Maybe you don't understand exactly why, but you understand it has to be in the plan of God. I'm doing what God says and God will have his will with me. God always provides a satisfying answer. And then lastly, remember this, that the message that John the Baptist preached is still the one we preach today. People must repent of their sins. The kingdom of God is at hand, and many of you don't realize how close the kingdom of God is for you. And it could be that the kingdom of God will be here immediately for every one of us. We just don't know. But we need to be prepared for it. And the only way we can is repent of our sins, put our faith in Jesus Christ to save us from those sins, and then we'll be ready for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to look into your word today. And even though we preached a little bit different type of message and uh, we don't have a whole lot in here about salvation and a lot about service, but I think we can see the life of this great man and know where we're headed. Uh, we, we can see where the message is going to take us, that we need to trust you implicitly in every area of our lives. If we have trusted you for our salvation... If we know that you've saved us from our sins, then we know that we can trust you with whatever comes into our lives. Lord, deliver us from our doubts. Deliver us from questioning. And may we accept what you have for us and be happy in what you have for us and continue to serve you as we should. I pray, Lord, you'd speak to some heart today, someone who may not know you as Savior. This message is, is still the same. Repent, place faith in Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I pray that you speak to someone's heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.